the journey is finally complete. From the bottom to the top, Rangers are champions of Scotland. So much pressure on his shoulders. Not that you would ever guess it. A critical goal as Wickham try and try and chart away to an improbable second season in the championship. He's through the Hello and welcome to the Hopeless Wonder Podcast with me, Adam Gipke, Craig Rogers, and Andy McBride. And if you're watching with us right now, say hello and make your thoughts known as we go along. So as you can tell, if you're watching with us right now, I am donning the, uh, what would we describe it, John Motton look? Because I've changed microphones, I've changed my headphones, I'm just missing the sheepskin jacket at the moment, but... This is just more because I noticed our quality was really poor last week. So apologies if you felt it was the same. But anyway, let's introduce you to our pod co-host as well. And Craig, uh, Diego Costa was signed by Stalinitana this week uh, for six months. So uh, key question for you, which player would you like to dig out of the wilderness and sign for either Rangers or for a club to the end of the season? But more importantly, mate, while I get you to think about that, how are you as well? Uh, yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good, good, busy work. I'm looking forward to, to talking about some football tonight. Um, some really interesting transfer stuff, which is a bit unusual for January. Usually, it's a bit bored, mm. one or two overpriced transfers, but um, there's a lot of a lot of really interesting stuff going on, which is good. Um, in terms of digging out, um, an old player, well, I'm trying to think of players who still go. Do you know what? If I could just get someone for Rangers or for Celtic just for the circus, it'd be Balotelli. <laughs> It'd be like when we bought El Hadjif on loan, just bring him over for six months and just for either club, really, just for just for to see what happens. It would be my choice. Oh, it sounds like some quality shithousery there with Balotelli. Andy, unfortunately, I haven't got that exact question for you, but uh, you were calling out Nadine Doris, uh, in particular for absolute arse licking of Boris Johnson. So I wanted to ask you, who do you think is the Nadine Doris of football? Uh, but again, more importantly, Andy, how are you? I mean, that's a horrible thought, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not an image I want in my head. It's the, the Dorries of football. Oh, I don't know. Probably Graeme Souness or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, he's Scottish. That doesn't count. I, don't, I honestly go. I think he's an entity to our own because he's just mm. batshit mental. <laughs> and you're okay, more importantly. Don't oh, you? I'm fine. Yeah, I'm all good. Good stuff. Right. We, we seem to have like a lot to talk about, but um, let's start off by talking about the Tinkerman that left Watford. So uh, Claudio <laughs> Ranieri, unfortunately, didn't last very long. I was uh, probably a bit stupid last week when I kind of predicted Watford might stay up. But after that showing against Norwich, it was far from that. Uh, so looking at his record, 13 games in charge only winning twice, one against Man United, uh, drew, drew once, should I say, and lost 10 times. Looking at the goals scored, uh, scored in the process 29 goals, or sorry, should I say conceded 29 goals and scored 17 goals. 
Um, so they had a better points per game average with Zisco in charge. Um, but the Pozo family have obviously gone to someone they know, um, a different character in this sense. So it's Roy Hodgson. And we did have this question from the Corridor of Uncertainty, which is a podcast, uh, asking us, is Hodgson the right man to keep Watford up if there's such a thing as a right man for Watford? So, um, Andy, if I start off with yourself, probably not unforeseen to see this change. I was expecting it maybe a bit earlier from the Posers family traditional record anyway. Um, but yeah, what, what do you make of that appointment? Do you think he's going to shore up that defence and keep them up? I think it's their best bet, really, isn't it? Like, mm. you know, Watford managers don't have a very long shelf life. And you know what? Roy Hodgson at his age probably isn't looking for a long-term job. Mm. Uh, so I think it suits both parties. Um, you know, he kept the Crystal Palace up you know, year after year. Um, you know, all right, the football wasn't fantastic to watch, but ultimately you need to, you just need to get uh, three points and a few points here and there. Um, and I think he's, he's a wise old head. Like, yeah, all right. You know, as I said, the football won't be great, but it's their best hope. Um, you know, the Pozo family don't, you know, have got, They've got a lot of contacts in Udinese. They've got a really good network in South America in terms of scouting. So mm. it doesn't really matter who the manager is. Uh, they just need somebody who can get a tune out of these players for the last like 15, 20 games um, and be done with it. And yeah, you know, if if, it, if he loses his first five or six games, it probably they'll just sack him and get somebody else in. So looking at their first fixtures, so next fixtures they've got, they've got Burnley, West Ham, Brighton, Villa. Uh, you'd expect them to be picking up a couple of points, especially if you factor in um, Burnley's form at the moment. Brighton aren't particularly great away from home. Uh, Villa can be a little bit inconsistent sometimes. Mm. Uh, West Ham haven't been in the great form. So that is a set of results that they need. Um, you know, And you can also, you know, especially with like playing um, Arsenal at home, you can see Hodgson putting 10 you know, 10 behind the ball and maybe getting a point there. So that's probably what we're looking at. We're thinking, actually, we've got some fixtures we can get a result from. Let's see what this new guy can do. Mm, certainly. And Craig, a um, lot of shouts from the Watford fans about the fact that he just didn't really get it. Um, there's been comments about the players saying they appreciated his efforts, but unfortunately, it just didn't turn out to be the Claudio Ranieri team that we expected, potentially. Um but yeah, I, I feel it's a right direction in that sense. Um, it just didn't fit. Um, would you be of the same thought? Yeah, yeah, I would say it just it didn't fit. If you look at Ranieri, I know it's hard to forget what he did at Leicester that that one season. Um, but if you do take that off of his CV, he hasn't really done an awful lot in the game for the last twelve to you know fifteen years. He's had bad spells in a lot of different places. So. <clears throat> If you're bringing in a manager to to stop a bin fire and try and keep a team up, Ranieri's, I think, raised a few eyebrows when he was brought in, and it's not a surprise that he's now gone. I agree with Andy that, you know, there is absolutely no circumstances where they would have stayed up under Ranieri. None. I'm, I'm convinced. I, even, even after a conversation last week, before the, the Norwich game, I think they just, I don't think they'd stay up under him. Will Hodgson gives him a chance because, you know, through all the seasons at Crystal Palace, his sort of trademark was he had a very, very average Crystal Palace side where, who could defend well, well organised and had one or two key players up front a la um, Wilfred Zaha and co that could nick up a win here or there. And he made, mm. he made you know, made a decent team out of them and, and kept them up. And if Watford can try and get some of that form, 
Gemmo discipline behind the ball. And then, you know, Emmanuel Dennis and a couple of the other guys maybe picking up a couple of goals here or there then. That's probably their best their best route out of danger. And will it be enough? You know, time will tell. I, I think they're, they're absolutely still mm. stuck in a dogfight, Rod Hodgson or not. Um, but it definitely, I think, gives them a boost and gives them a chance that they wouldn't have otherwise had. Definitely. And a word for Norwich, because, um, again, they're a team that I didn't expect to really pull themselves out of it, even when they got Dean Smith. Fantastic result against Watford. Um, but they seem like really strong candidates to get themselves out of it now. So, Craig, again, you have to give credit to whatever Dean Smith is doing down there. But, yeah, it looks like they have got foundations to pull themselves out of this relegation fight right now. Yeah, Watford are a strange one because there are some games where they, they do what they did against Watford and they're absolutely fantastic going forward and other times they'll just be really meek and disappointing. So if they can even find some sort of middle ground and just be mm. average, even just if they're just average, they might be able to get out of it. But they need to just stop stop losing silly games and if they can keep beating those around them, listen, well, no, if they go away to Liverpool or Man City, Chelsea, all these teams are free hits. Um, but what they need to do is what they did last week is when you play someone in or around you, you have to beat them. Um, these are all six mm-hmm. pointers now down there. Burnley have got a, you know an incredibly tough job to try and get get those um, those games and has converted the points. Um, so if Norwich can continue to do what they're doing, I can't believe I'm going to say this. If they continue to beat the teams around them, you never know they might have a chance because at Christmas time I had them dead and buried. But Dean Smith is is doing a is doing a good job, and the Watford must have looked at that and thought they've got rid of. Um, Farkan brought in Smith. Can we do something similar? And maybe, mm. you know, a guy that knows the league um, and Roy Hodgson and maybe give him a boost. Definitely. Andy, I'm just going to move the topic to uh, Conte. And this was a big question that came out of last weekend's games, which was when uh, Spurs took on Chelsea last 2-0. But um, Conte and that team don't, don't seem to have that DNA of Conte's at, say, Inter, Juventus, even for Chelsea. So, it does feel like he's a bit lost with that Spurs side. I mean, I know they were a bit unlucky at times against Chelsea, but actually um, it just looks like another car crash at the moment. And fans are grumbling about they're not convinced by his style. Um, it does seem like even in this window, he's not got a lot to play with in terms of money, whether the next few days will change that. I mean, his record is still quite decent. So even leading up to that, obviously, Chelsea game, there were nine, nine games unbeaten. So it's not like they've been playing terribly and they've actually shored up their defence. They've only conceded four goals until that Chelsea game itself. So it just feels like maybe Chelsea are the unlucky side for Conte at the moment. But yeah, what's your thoughts on what's going on there? Because it doesn't feel like Conte is going to last there. And there's probably a reason why he's only got an 18-month contract for that reason. Yeah, I think I remember when we all talked about it at the time and we all said he must have been given some promises in terms Mm. of backing in the transfer window because... He's he's the kind of you know he left Inter because he knew what the situation was. We're going to have to sell the best players, and they weren't necessarily going to bring the same level of quality in. So he was like, you know what, I don't want to be a part of that. I'm off. Uh, so he's taking the Tottenham job. It's an odd fit. Um, I mean, I I've always I've, I'm of the view that he only took the Tottenham job because the Manchester United one wasn't available. Um, had certain circumstances been different mm. I think he would have taken the United job but that's all in the past but yeah I think the only explanation I could think is that Daniel Levy has gone right see what you could do with a squad this year and then we'll do a rebuild over the summer because the sort yeah. of players that are at Tottenham are, are not you know some of them are just not of the quality required some of them 
you know, think of the likes of Deli Ali and, and Dombele. They're not Conte players. They won't give 100% for the cause. Uh, mm. They're not fit enough to give 100% for the cause. So you've you've effectively got, you know, I was watching the game against Chelsea and you've got Kane effectively out there on his own because you've got Hoiberg trying to put out fires, but they haven't really got anybody else to link play. They haven't got, mm. you know, with um, Chelsea, they subbed on Jorginho, but on Kante, yeah. <laughs> like that's the levels that they're competing against. Mm. So I think unless he gets significant backing in the summer, um, I think he'll walk. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by significant backing, like Conte will expect signings in the door by January the 1st. Not, mm. not any of this like, you know, end of August nonsense and getting a few players here and there. I mean, they were trying to negotiate. They couldn't even get a deal over the line for bloody Adama Triore. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's. Um, I wouldn't blame him if he left because if he leaves, his stock won't be any lower. He'll still yeah. get a top, top job elsewhere because people would just go, oh, it's Spurs. Um, he didn't get the mm. back in. He, you know, he was trying to work with a bunch of players he didn't want. Um, mm. so yeah, it's it's up to Daniel Levy. And if Conte goes because he wasn't backed, um, oh, I, I hope that Tottenham fans don't know where Levy lives because they're already unhappy <laughs> with him as it is. And I think the protests could get quite toxic. I yeah. genuinely feel it'll get really, really toxic if Conte walks because mm. they're not getting anybody as good after him. No, no, so, yeah. I think they'll end up another Everton at this rate. Craig, what about you? I mean, what's your thoughts on how Conte's playing it out at the moment at Spurs? Do you think he's just maybe trying to clear the dead wood at the moment by highlighting this? Or do you think there's something much more deeper? No, I think it's a it's a political game with the board. That's that's all it is. You see it, you see it often these managers where mm. um they'll come out and they'll see these things or they'll play deliberately play a players at a position to sort of send a message to the board, and that's what this is. This is a cry for help for Conte to say. The squad is not good enough to match my expectations. And like Andy says, he will expect reinforcements in the summer. Um, and I think he'll get to the summer and I think he will not be given the money, the signings that he needs. And I think I don't think he'll start next season as Spurs manager. I think he'll walk out in the mm. summer. I think it's one of those um, twos and fro's to the early summer months. And I think he'll be gone. Which will be disappointing because Antonio Conte is pound for pound the best manager Spurs have ever had and probably will yeah. ever have. And if they're not going to you know, go all in, back this guy and really do it, then when are you supposed to, when are you actually going to make mm. a move? Are you just going to be perennial top six or are you going to really do it? Uh, they're a really wealthy club um, and the biggest city in, in Europe, you know, in the richest league in the world. So when are you going to go and go and make some moves here? If you're not going to do it now, then don't bother getting a content again. Just get someone mm. who's going to finish top six. Don't go out and get um, one of the most driven guys in world football, um, known for being driven, winning titles, known for his ruthlessness. Do not do not go and get a guy then, and then give him shit to mm. play with. It just doesn't make doesn't make any sense. They're, 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 it's like they're getting they're buying managers at a certain level of expectancy, and then not willing to give them the tools to really work with, which is bizarre. So yeah, mm. I hope I hope he does get money. I'd love to see a really strong Spurs side. I think it makes the league a lot better. Um, Spurs rocking up to to Chelsea, just getting pumped is just par for the course now. I think they beat Chelsea. Yeah, as a boy, I don't think so. I think it was like six times in the past, like 25 since the Premier League has started. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, yeah, I hope he gets some money. I hope his balls are strong, but 
Um, if not, I think he'll definitely walk. Mm, yeah, I can see it maybe lasting till the last five games of the season and him walking personally. Um, but Andy, just quick word on Chelsea, obviously back to winning ways. I thought the uh, performance of Zayic was something to behold as well, Ooh. really coming into his own a bit now. And um, I think he was for parts of that match, kind of the focal point. I don't know what you thought of Zayic's performance. Yeah, I think they realised that the Spurs left-hand side, you would have them on toast. Mm. All day long, um, you know. I was going to see his Davis playing on the left hand side, and it's just not. Yeah, defensively, it's just not good enough. And second half, like he was on it. I mean, that yeah. first goal was one of you know. Oh, it's beautiful. I was like a left footed player myself, just to see it like curling the net, like yeah. perfect angle. Oh, it's gorgeous, gorgeous goal. Uh, like I could watch that over and over again. Um, some of the passes he was putting in was incredible. He's, he's got that technique where he smashes it across the ball and proper whips it. He kind of does mm. like an outswing to another player. I remember them doing it from back in the days he was at Ajax and there was a really cool camera angle if you find it on YouTube. And he did a similar kind of cross-field pass there. And he's, yeah, like technically, like he is a very, very good player. And that's the thing though, at Chelsea, you know, they've got, that such a level of competition in those mm. positions, you've got to be at your best when you get given an opportunity. You know, they've got the likes of Callum Hudson Odoi, you've got you know Aki Zayek, you've got Mason Mount, you could play out wide sometimes. Team Laverna plays out there. You know, they've got a lot of players who can come into those positions. You've got to be really on your game. Um, and I think he'll be key, he'll be key for them. And even mm. if he doesn't start every game, he is someone who could come in and bang a couple of goals in. Definitely. While we stick to that theme of that game, obviously VAR has striked again. Um, <laughs> Craig, I don't know how much you watched of it, so I'll ask Andy first. But there was two instances I wanted to talk about. Obviously, Andy, the first one being the Kane incident and then the second one being the Jota incident where obviously he just ran into Guetta, the Crystal Palace keeper. Obviously, Kevin Friends kind of looked at it first and not said anything, but VAR said, look at it again. And then, obviously, like I said a few weeks ago, you can make like the replays look like it's been a foul. But in that instant, it just didn't look like it. It just seemed bizarre to me anyway. But if we start off first by the Kane incident, what was your thoughts when it first happened? Because I initially thought it was just a goal. I thought it was a goal as well. And like, if you're playing like Sunday League, that had been given all day long. You've been told to get up. You know, you look at the replay and I guess a bit we can't really tell is kind of like how fast he was going and how much that impact would have been. But I think, you know, there's a school of thought that on the one hand, it was wise play from um, Thiago Silva. Um, and on the other, it was just soft. Like if that had been given as a goal, uh, it wouldn't have been a clear and obvious error to overturn it. And you, you I don't know, you've seen plenty of, goals go in like that, you know, when someone's put their hand in their shoulder to move them out of the way. Um, but, yeah, it's I, I'd be fuming if that was given against my team. Um, mm. I think Thiago Silva uses experience to buy it and make it look yeah. a lot worse. Cause he didn't need... He, I was, like That content wasn't enough to go down, uh, but he did what he needed to do to prevent the goal from going in. So... I think VAR isn't really the problem here. It's a referee's interpretation of it because he didn't, you know, he didn't um, even really look. He could have looked at the monitor, uh, but he just went, no, it's not a goal. Um, 
So, yeah, again, I think the consistent issue is that the referees are not using the resources available to them because, you know, in other countries, they don't have as much of our nonsense as we do over here. So, uh, Stu makes a really good point about the fact that Silver is the master of shadowing runs. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kane, with his experience, do you think he needed to get his arm out? I mean, it feels like a natural kind of position for a striker to do to keep that distance away from a centre back. But I don't know what your thoughts are because that was what was like brought up by the media. But I, I don't buy into that myself. It's what it's what you used to call jostling for position, is it not? It's just mm. pretty basic. You're always told as as a child, you know, keep your arms out, buy yourself some space, and, and like Stu just said, Tiago Silva is you know a master of the dark arts, and you know he's played at high level for a long, long time. Um, severe fan, <laughs> um, and he just yeah he just knows what he's doing. He goes down. Um, so yeah, Silva, you can see clever there. I think Kane's probably quite harshly punished. Um, but yeah, right, and he's right. VAR's not the problem. It's the referee's interpretation of the laws. And the Jota one, um, I'd like to get your opinion on it, Adam. I, I didn't really see what the first was. The Jota yeah, one, if I'm no. I Diego Jota uh, knocks the ball past the keeper. The keeper's going to hit him anyway, in my opinion. I don't think he yeah. wanted to get out of the way. Does he, does, he, does he lean in towards the keeper to make sure there's absolute contact? Probably. But I don't, mm. think, it's, I don't think he buys the foul. I think the foul's coming regardless. Um, and I, I couldn't really see because I didn't watch the game live and I saw the fallout on mm. Twitter, if I'm honest. And I thought, oh, you watch that tonight, see what it was all about. And when I, when I saw it, I, I was a bit, I thought I was blown out a bit of emotion. But what was your kind of thoughts on the, the penalty incident? Again, I didn't see it live, but I did see it on the highlights. And when you look at it first instance, I just associate it to school days where you're just like trying to get out of the goalkeeper's way, right? But I think he, what he's done cleverly, he's looked at it and gone, there's an opportunity here. Let me just go down and see what happens. He's probably not even thinking that I'd get anything out of it, personally. But it's just the fact that, obviously, Kevin Friends, you can see from the highlights as well, he's at a clear enough distance. You can see the action take place. He doesn't blow at all. And then, like you say, it's down to the interpretation of what the referee sees it. And now this is the problem that I have is you can slow it down to make it look like a foul. And in that instance, when it's real time, it's definitely not a foul. So I just, yeah, I think there has to be a turnaround in terms of the VAR, the use of it and what it should be done in those sort of circumstances. Because clearly, obviously, unless it's very clear and obvious, which to be fair, that doesn't look clear and obvious as a foul. That looks like he's just bumped into him. So there's loads of those instances that would happen further up on the pitch. And I don't think it gets given even as a free kick, but yeah, Andy, if I pass it on to yourself, what about you? I think it was harsh. Again, I didn't watch it again live, but I was looking at the highlights of it. I was just like, oh, come on, really? Like, the, the goalkeeper's gone in for an honest challenge. Jota's, you know, as Craig said, seen an opportunity, gone in for it. But I'm just like, I don't know. It's just, um, you know, a goalkeeper's going to be stopped being able to charge out the box because they'll concede mm. the penalty if they make contact with a player. Um I think when they, and that's why referees should be going to the monitor, they should be showing it in real time and in slow-mo so they can see it. Um, mm. And I think it just goes down again. I think what they need is people who've, um, when Josh was on a couple of weeks ago, he made a good point that referees need to be able to have actually played football because you look at some of the decisions made and you look at it and go, you've never played a game of football in your life. Like, yeah. You just don't 
he just don't understand. And I think as Stuart um, is pointing out there, there is a, a really strange culture of football where there's a massive unwillingness to change your ways and acknowledge when there's been mistakes. There seems to be, mm. you know, an almost an arrogance about it. And they all kind of, whenever there's criticism, they kind of like go into a little ball uh, where they just kind of try and ride it out. And I think as a fan, if we're not, you know, if the mistakes are going to be made, whether we like it or not, it happens. But sometimes it'd be great to see maybe a little bit of explanation or what went into that decision and uh, why it was made. And maybe we give a bit of understanding, maybe from a referee's point of view, you know, they might actually go, if I've got to explain this to somebody in the street, you know, your average person, why I made that decision, maybe I have to think about what I'm doing a bit more. It's just bizarre. Right. Well, let's move on and talk about uh, this window that's going to take place or close on Monday. Uh, I've got it as a title of Dan Burn to Newcastle for 10 million discuss. But there's been a few of these uh, really random transfers that are starting to take place. Uh, before we joined the pod, Craig, you highlighted about Callum Chambers going to uh, Aston Villa. We've mm-hmm. also got Adama Traore joining Barcelona, it seems. And he flagged it in our WhatsApp group. I didn't <laughs> think that was going to happen, but that's a bit of a weird one. At the same time, obviously, uh, Christian Eriksen looks like he was on the cards to join Brentford. He was seen at the stadium, but um, he's been seen all week on social media training with Ajax. So I don't know what will happen there. And then we've got Vlavic, who looks like he's joining Juve for 62 million, so or 73 million even. Um, and then Gusons is leaving Atalanta for Inter on loan initially before confirming a 25 million pound move in the summer. So um, if I start off with yourself, Craig, obviously you've got a player to talk about for Rangers as well. But um, yeah, what have you made of this window? And what what about Dan Byrne? If we start off with Dan Byrne, because uh, I couldn't see it, but you you definitely see some value in Dan Byrne at Newcastle, right? I, I think you and I have got completely opposite opinions on this because when you tweeted yeah. out saying Dan Byrne for 10 million quid, I thought you were saying it was too cheap. And I agreed. And I said, <laughs> what, are you going to buy him for a month? I think Dan... Listen, maybe it's just me. I think Dan Byrne, or maybe I just follow the Seagull social and I'm bought in, I'm <laughs> into the Dan Byrne hype train. I think Dan, Dan Byrne's a, a solid Premier League centre half. Am, am, I, am I going mad? I think maybe. he's okay. I think he's all right. And yeah. if you look at previous transfers, even decent level centre halves are going for a lot more than 10 million quid. Listen, if Nathan Aki's going to Man City for 40 million quid, if Tyrone Mings is quoted at 50 million quid, I'm not surprised Brighton have told Newcastle to go and chase themselves because if that's the kind of money we're talking about, Dan Burns, a 30 million pound player, Premier League tax, especially when you are self-professed, the richest club in world football, um, you are not going to get even an average Premier League player for 10 million quid. If you've just signed fucking Woods for 25 million, you are not going to get Dan Burns for 10. Right? That's, that's a fact. So maybe it's just me and maybe your listeners, please tweet us, let us know what you think. And I, Adam and I disagree here. Adam thought, <laughs> Adam thought it was uh, too expensive. I think it's too cheap. So please let us know. But um, I think it's exactly what you can't need, though. Solid. I'll just, I'll just join in that conversation. I just feel like Dan Byrne isn't a great defender. He's good. He's good at his job. And I don't dispute that. Um, £10 million seems a bit for what he is. But maybe I'm just looking at it from a Wickham Wanderers angle and I'm seeing those type of players playing League One and Championship and thinking, boy, does that mean they're worth £10 million? But um, 
at the same time, I think we said offline, he's definitely better than the defenders that Newcastle have. So from that point of view, if you're talking about someone that can play with his feet, which he clearly can do, uh, that was a little project that uh, Graham Potter did with him at left back. But also he seems to pop up and score goals. So again, he's going to be clinical at the other end and help them out in that respect. So, you know, based on, you know, this Eddie Howe style of football, then potentially he's going to be really useful. But yeah, I just, I don't see it. I think they could have gone for someone else, but maybe also at the same point, they were talking about getting Sven Botman and that was never going to happen realistically. No, so yeah, I think that's probably what it is. I spoke about the fact that they were getting squeezed for certain types of players and oh, maybe yeah. this is the point where they're struggling. Um, what about you then, Andy? In terms of, we'll forget about the Dan Byrne stuff and talk about the other transfers. Has there been any that have surprised you so far? So it's um, Newcastle paying like only 30 million quid for Bruno Gamares from um, Leon. Um, that seems like a bloody good deal. Uh, I haven't seen too much of him for what I have. Um, he looks far but he looks far more suited to you know a Arsenal or a um, or even like, you know, say Manchester United to be honest. Um, but I think Newcastle are in this very unfamiliar position where Everybody knows they've got money. Everybody. Mm. So, you know, for a player that's worth 20 million quid, they're going to cost 30 or 40. So I think going to that Dan Byrne deal, I think um, that's actually a really good deal for him because his contract runs out in like 18 months by all accounts. And mm. um, again, he's better than Kyron Clark. Um, he's a bit, a lot more physical than Fabian Scher. You know, Lascelles was all right, I think, for a little bit, maybe what, three or four years ago. He looked decent, but that was three or four years ago. I think in terms of other transfers, um, again, I just can't get over the bloody idolatry all right to Barcelona. I really can't. I thought when, when Spurs were interested in buying him, my first thought was only Spurs would be stupid enough to spend big money on him. I think we and forgot then, Bar well, then Barcelona then, bought Martin Braithwaite, so maybe we shouldn't be surprised. But how and my mate Sean texts me and says, um, how much are Barcelona paying for him? And I told Sean it doesn't matter because they're not the rules are not going to see any of it anyway. So, so yeah, I damn it, sure he's it's a strange one. I don't I don't really see he's one of those players that if you were to look at his highlight reel on YouTube, do you think you're getting a world beater? But if you watch him every week, he's just not he's not I don't know how he fits into a Javi tiki taka style football because he's the polar opposite of that. Um, yeah, but I think Bar I think Barcelona make their signings, you know, independent of the manager, don't they? They just go, oh, he's available, and also he came through the Barcelona youth system, so I think maybe that's part of it in terms of like you know registrations and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I, I just looked at his stats now on Wikipedia, right? So he's played two hundred and fifty nine um, league games, and he's got twenty one goals. And the most he's ever scored in a season was back in 2017-18 when he was playing for Middlesbrough. <laughs> he got five goals in the championship out of 34 games. Like, I know he's a massive physical presence, uh, but, you know, his first touch takes him 30 yards. Like, I just don't understand how he fits into Barcelona. As you say, it's just weird. Craig, let me just bring you to another question that came in from one of our listeners, Anruda. So I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But yeah, 
Obviously, with Vlaovic now joining potentially Juventus, does that make them a force to be reckoned with and potentially for the remainder of the Champions League? I mean, certainly that's a bit of a coup for Juve, I would say, to get him at this point in his, obviously, season that he's having so far. Um, and you can clearly see by the celebrations of last week, that was clearly a look of uh, this is as best as it's going to get for me when I turn up at Fiorentina going forward. But yeah, obviously... Yeah, what do you expect? Because uh, we'll go into this area section later, but yeah, Juventus were lackluster when it came to like obviously ideas, um, how to play it going attacking wise. Um, and maybe that focal point is what they need. Um, but Vlaovic is a coup for them, right? It's a huge coup. Yeah, we are, we're all big Vlaovic fans on the pod, and <clears throat> he's having the season of his life. Um, it definitely makes Juventus stronger. Does it make them a force in the Champions League? I don't think so. I think Juventus' problems go far deeper than who they've got up front. Um, I think the midfield needs, needs an awful lot of investment. You know, big, big transfers in terms of wages paid in Rabi and Ramsey have, have not worked out at all. Um, and I think they're probably still two or three players away from really being a force in Europe to top table again. But does it improve them? Absolutely. Um, it'll be unfortunate that I think Dybala is definitely going to leave in the summer now. So he will, it'll be essentially a straight swap um, for those two so you, you won't get to see those two play again for um, after this season which is a shame but but Vyavich yeah good coup for them particularly when there's a lot of Premier League clubs snipping around um, Dybala will go Liverpool will be linked this week with Dybala which I think is incredibly exciting um, the prospect mm. of having that um, but yeah don't don't expect any any nice treatment uh, <laughs> back at Fiorentina this is the Fiorentina fans that burned their battles to the statue after the same for Roma so if they'll do that mm. to Batty Bowl, then, then just watch out, mate, because there's no one safe. Now, I don't know if it's been covered while I was absent, but uh, Diallo is now moving from Man United to Rangers on loan. Um, Andy, if we get your thoughts on Diallo, what do you think he'll add to Rangers' game? He had, he had a lot of flair and skill. Um, you know, he hasn't made many appearances in Manchester United, but he's actually surprisingly good in the air. If you look mm-hmm. at his header he did against AC Milan in the Europa League last year, it was an absolute, it was incredible technique. Uh, he's good at dribbling. He's, he's been playing exceptionally well for the under-23s. That's where he spent, you know, most of his season so far. He's at that stage of his career where he's too good for the under-23s. United have got quite a bit of, uh, quite a lot of options in the wide positions. Uh, and he was meant to go on loan to Feyenoord, uh, but he picked up an injury just before the end of the transfer window, which put him out for a, a couple of months. And um, so that deal got canned. But um, and maybe that's where you know my uh, broadcast has uh, picked picked up the uh, the link there. Really, maybe he's heard of him through that. But he he, he had like a lot. Of, he's got he's got really good technique and close control. Uh, I think the only concern I do have is that he's going to get chopped to shit. Um, you know, next <laughs> time they go and play Aberdeen and Scott Brown fancies a hack but you know what i think this sort of move will be a really good sign as to whether he's got the mentality to make mm. it the top level because it's all it's one thing having the skill and the technique but you know there's expectations that come with playing for rangers like you're expected to win every single game you're expected to go out and perform when you're on the pitch and if you have a bad game a bit like at man united people will be on you 
Uh, yeah. So it'd be a, it'd be a really really good experience for him. Uh, like, I I I hope he does really really well. Um, and at the end of it, you know, if he stays on there for another season or you know he plays well enough to build the way into you know, whoever the next Manchester United manager is, it's a good move. Uh, I think mm. it's a really good caliber of player, and it's a sort of move that wouldn't have happened if Steven Gerrard had been there. Because let's be honest, <laughs> he don't do but you won't do business at Manchester United. No, that's true. Um, Craig, from your point of view, do you think there's going to be some more business or does the Diallo signing maybe sign post maybe potential moves for the likes of Ryan Kent? Uh, no, I think I think he will stay. Now, we have, like we spoke in the podcast, we did have mm. to sell one player this season and Nathan Patterson was it. Um, so there's, there's a couple of under no obligations to, to go. I'd be, I'd be far more concerned about losing Jordi, but at this stage... Um, although Nigeria yeah. got knocked out of the AFCON, he was he was you know by far the most influential player, and, and some sort of independent Twitter accounts were picking up on his performances. So I think Jody was probably top of the shopping list for a couple of clubs down south. Um, yeah. The Diallo one is really interesting because Yanis Hadji's out with an ACL for the rest of the season. Uh, I don't know if the transfer happens if if he's not injured. Um, we've got Scott Wright, who we picked up from Aberdeen last year, played last night and was not particularly good. Um, he's struggling a little bit, Scott Wright. Um, so we've got in Diallo. We are we're actually really excited. All Twitter pages, um, bar a few, are really excited about this lad. Obviously, got incredible talent. Comes through the Atalanta um, youth system, which is, you know, if you don't know much about Italian football, is is right right up there. They have, um, you know, they produced Bastoni, Locatelli in recent years. Um, they are a real, real top, top academy. Um, 37 million euros. Um, last, I can't remember the last time a 37 million pound man was in Scotland, albeit a youngster. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, but Andy's right, he's five foot eight, skinny guy. He will get the full Scottish experience up here. <laughs> but I'm really excited for I'm really excited for club and player. I mean, he could be part of us winning, you know, our 50 to actually mm-hmm. this year, and it's going to be a really tight run in. Um, so it'll be interesting, like Andy says, for, for the boys' mentality. Yes, he's played mm-hmm. with big clubs before. But he's not been playing every week, and, and like and this is again, even a draw at Rangers is a, is a disaster. Like you, you have to win every game, it's not good enough. Um, mm-hmm. Whether you're going to Celtic Park or you're going to Petorgia, wherever you're going, the fans expect to win every game, and there's enormous pressure on him to come in. I hope he starts in like, the weekend. We're playing Ross County away, and then we're at Celtic Park yeah. next Wednesday. So, you know, I'd, I'd put him straight in, I'd put him straight in on Saturday, see who gets on, and then unleash him against yeah. Celtic next week. Really excited for the boy, and if he, if he can, you know, you know. Get a great first team experience, win win a, a league title here at Rangers. You never know what he could do next season, the year after that, back down south. So we're really, really excited. Can't wait to see him play. Yes, he'll have he'll have bad games. He's only a young boy. He'll be inconsistent at times, mm. but I think if some of the brilliance that he can show could really help him, you know, propel to the next league title. So um, brilliant piece of business. But I think I still think we're at a central midfielder shot. We brought in a boy called Sands from New York City FC. Um, he's played twice so far. He's tidy, but he's not, not a world mm. beater. If we could just get someone to come in and partner Glenn Kamara in there, you know, Ryan Jack's come back from injury, but it's not much sharpness. Um, he's lacking a bit much sharpness. Steve Davis is not the player, you know, he's 38 now, mm. he's, he's not going to play every game. If we could just get someone to come in and really partner uh, Glenn Kamara, then I think we've got a yeah. fantastic opportunity to, to, to go on and, and win this title. So, very, very exciting. Well, in my eyes, the answer is Namdi off the ball, but unfortunately, whatever's happening at the moment with those tests, they're still not clear at the moment. Yeah, I did um, see that little bit in the press around, he, you know, he spoke to Giovanni Van Bronckhorst and, you know, he's been patient to see 
Um, obviously, I think it was more highlighted by the abuse he recently got on social media, yeah. unfortunately. But if we park that to the side, um, yeah, he's a player that I love from his Wickham loan spell. Um, I think he could do a really good job. But yeah, I'm hoping that he doesn't have to retire because there has been a few thoughts around that. So I don't know if you know any more on that story. Yeah, he's um, he's had some pretty dodgy heart tests, um, some some irregularities with his with his heart, um, and you know especially after what happened to Christian Eriksen, clubs just are not taking any chance at all. You see it with Obama Yang now, who's who was sent back from the Afcon with with uh, some heart dodgy heart tests, so he won't play until we're until we're sure. Um, mm. But yeah, he's one of those players that we were always quite excited about. You know, he's a big player. He's played in the Championship, which is a tough league as well. Big physical guy, lots of power. A real box-to-box midfielder. And we would love to see more of him. But, you know, with, mm. with these kind of things, caution caution is the order of the day. And, um, you know, hopefully we can see the Rangers shot. If not this season, maybe next season. Yeah, fingers crossed for the guy because he definitely would uh, light up that league, that's for sure. Anyway, Craig, let's talk about the old firm. You've kind of already kind of discussed a little bit about it. But yeah, obviously, from what I saw, there's four points difference between yourself and Celtic. Um, bar any other fixtures, this is going to be the second to the last fixture that you have to face Celtic. So one towards the end of the season. Obviously, this is going to be very critical because it's at Celtic's ground as well. Um, what are you feeling about it? Is there a sense of optimism or... You know, you know. Obviously, these kind of games form goes out of the window, right? So it's all about who turns up on the day. Yeah. So it's actually the the third from last. So we played them four times mm. in the league. Um, we played them once and we beat them one 0 at Ibrox. So this is the postponed game. So it's always a New Year game. It's always on sort of the first or second. That was postponed uh, after I, I spoke about Celtic uh, champion to get the the winter break pulled forwards. So this is the the rescheduled game, and that's why it's on a Wednesday night. I don't think I've seen a league game between Rangers and Celtic on a Wednesday night for 10, 15 years, and that's the reason why. So, um, slightly, I am slightly optimistic. Celtic are listen, in good form. You know, they're getting results. Mm. They had a really tough game against Hearts last night, and they won 2-1. Uh, you know, we've been to Hearts this season as well, and it's a, it's a tough place to go. So, you know, to go to Tynecastle and win, you, you take that any day of the week. We really laboured against Livingston last night. It was, mm. it was you know, really poor at times, but... We were missing, you know, as I said, Hadji, um, Kent, Aribo, Morelos is on international duty. Um, Philip Hellander's still out. Ryan Jack was on the bench, coming back from injury. So we had a pretty weak team ourselves. The good news is, you know, sorry if there's any Nigerians listening, but I'm delighted that Nigeria got knocked out of the AFCON because otherwise uh, Joe Aribo yeah. would be missing for next week's game. We are without Morelos. He's been called up to the the Colombian national squad. Um, but then Celtic are missing some players who we called up for Japan. So it's a bit strange mm. that... Uh, neither team is really full strength. I think it will, be, it will be a lot about who turns up on the night. You know which which team can cobble together their best eleven and really go for it. And it's a and it's a hugely important game in the title race. If we win this game, we go seven points clear, um, having been to Celtic Park. If they beat us, then then it's one point with with it all to play for. So, um, you know, all form games are always exciting. They're always they're always full blooded um, occasions. But you know, as opposed to probably the last three or four years, really, I mean. It's either been Celtic and running away with it or Rangers running away with it last year. It's a, this this will be a proper title race. I think it will be within seven or eight points this year. It really will be. And this could be the start of start of the, the sort of running. So very, very exciting. Mm. A little bit nervous naturally, but yeah, looking yeah. forward to next week. What do you think? Um, just a question for you, Craig. What do you think of I don't know, weird one. What do you think of like Postacoglu since he's uh, been at Celtic? I know when he came over to Scotland, he was a bit of an unknown quantity over here, and it was a bit of a left field signing. But 
I think from an outside point of view, he looks like he's settled into the role. He's opened up a different market that in terms of player purchases, obviously he's, you know, they've been linked to Riley McCree, he's currently with Charlotte FC, obviously Aussie player, who spent a bit of time in Birmingham as well. Uh, he's brought in a few of the Japanese players he knows from managing his time over there. Like they seem to have, um, yeah, gone a little bit left field of management the transfer business. It seems to be working out all right for them. Yeah, I agree. Listen, I don't play Celtic um, ever, really. Ever. Uh, but it was a, it was a really <laughs> a strange sign in a guy that not many had heard of. I'd never heard of um, Ange Postecoglou before he came over. Um, yeah, laughed at a little bit by Rangers and Celtic fans. Really, they were, Celtic fans were not happy. I was on the podcast saying, listen, he doesn't go off to a good start. The night the Fox will be mm-hmm. out and he'll be, he'll be getting chased out the door. But he's, you know, they lost the first league game at Hearts. Um, ropey start. Um, not great in the Europa League, but domestically, um, you know they won they won the cup and he settled into it really really well. They're keeping they're keeping track with a, a Rangers team. So our Rangers team now we've now gone sixty one league games with one defeat. Um, mm-hmm. If you include last season, this season, so Rangers at the moment, yeah, we've had a few draws this year, but we are still really really strong, really really consistent. And the fact that he's, you know, one game away from going a point behind us at the end of. Uh, January, beginning of February, is, is a credit to him. I think I don't watch him often enough, so I can't really comment on the style of football. And um, from what I hear, it is good. They, they do pass the ball really well. And, and like you said, that the markets he's opened up, Kyogo Furuhashi is an example, um, is, is a brilliant player. I think he's probably the second best player in Scotland after Joe Rebo. Um, looking through my blue tinted spectacles there, I uh, saw so Celtic fans would, would absolutely argue that. But he's not in mm-hmm. Scotland for the Coglu. And um, yeah, they've got some exciting, exciting talent from Japan and Australia. And, um, it's definitely definitely exciting title race, and he's a big part of that. Yeah, mm. credit goes to Craig. Just one last question on this section: um, Do you feel if Stevie Gerrard was still there, that you're going into this with a lot of confidence? Because I know there was that period where it felt a bit stale. Looks like the players went up for it. I know we heard about Connor Golson's kind of comments about they couldn't fight, even though they were losing three-one at halftime. I think it was against Hibs in the cup final. And I'm just thinking now, if Gerrard was still there, do you think it would be a lot closer than what we're seeing right now? I know the gap isn't that massive, but at the same time, it feels like when Gio's come into that team now, he's reinvigorated as more of a focus. And it feels like you're going to obviously push on, if that makes sense. So it looks like obviously those players that maybe got relaxed under Gerrard are now having to rethink their games as well. 100%. Yeah, I listen, Steve Gerrard did. Some wonderful things with Rangers, and and that can never be taken away from him. Um, I think he's a, a great manager, and I hope he does well in his career. We were an absolute joke, and I do mean a joke before he came in. Mm. But there's there's no getting away from the fact that the performances this season, although we were you know, only one league defeat this year, the performances were stale. We were really really struggling, and since Van Bronckhorst has come in, um, the last few games have been a bit a bit ropey. But before that, you know, his, his record was phenomenal, and I think if we hadn't made that change or that change wasn't forced upon us, you know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if Celtic were now, you know, in pole position going into this whole fun game. It really is that simple. We've been to Easter Road and Tyne Castle and done really good results under Geo. I don't think we get under Stephen Gerrard this season. So yeah, listen, it might be a blessing in disguise come the end of the year that we've we've swapped over now. Um yeah, yeah goes to do well. Do well. I think I think Gerard kind of lost you feel like you lost a little bit of focus. Like you won the league, got it over the bag. And I think once he knew that clubs down south were looking at him. He may, I think 
maybe subconsciously even he wasn't oh, giving hundred yeah. percent. Mm. Yeah, you're right, mate. Because that that's you know winning a league title was his Everest as a player uh, and as a manager. Never won a league title, and when he was brought in, it was all about getting us back to the title, winning fifty five, stopping ten in a row. Everything was about that last season. Everything, all the build up was around that last season. So when they won the league, I'm not I'm not surprised there was a collective sort of exhale of of relief. Um, and when the players have climbed that Everest, um, then I'm not surprised that he and some of the players probably just, you know, struggled to maybe get a little bit motivated this year. Now, Rangers fans will, will shout at me saying, you know, if you're playing for Rangers, you know, you should be struggling for motivation. But these guys aren't Rangers men. They didn't grow up around mm. Ibrox. They are, they're, they're playing for big clubs and they appreciate it, but well, they're not Rangers diehard. So you kind of can understand that Gerald and his, his staff and maybe some of the senior players, they did claim their, their mountain um, last year. So, yeah, some fresh eyes and some fresh ideas are, are absolutely welcome, yeah. yeah. Right, I thought we'd bring in a bit of Bundesliga roundup. Uh, it's been a while since we've really covered it on the pod. Um, and while we kind of pretty much know that Bayern Munich are going to run away with it, I know there's a bit of a kind of chase from Dortmund, who seems to be in really good form. Um, I had to look at the table and it's getting really tight between those third and fourth place spots and uh, also at the bottom. So if I just go through some of the results that happened this weekend. So Hertha Berlin losing to Bayern 4-1. Uh, then we had Hoffenheim losing to Dortmund 3-2. Um, but like I say, the highlight is around that third and fourth place at the moment. So Leipzig, who are currently in sixth place, beat Wolfsburg who are now 15th, so a place above the relegation zone. Uh, they lost 2-0. Um, then we've got Gladbach, who lost to Union Berlin 2-1, who currently find themselves in fourth place. Leverkusen beat Augsburg 5-1. Uh, Leverkusen currently in third place. And then Freiburg, who are the West Ham of that league, currently uh, in fifth place, winning 2-0 against Stuttgart, who find themselves at the, uh, near the bottom as well. Um, but yeah, when I was looking at tables, you got... Leverkusen currently in third place on 35 points. Union Berlin with 34 points. Freiburg with 33 points. And then Leipzig with 31 points. Um, so, yeah, Craig, if I start off with yourself again, um, amazing to see Leipzig are back in the mix. Um, but, yeah, it's getting really tight at the moment for third and four, fourth place spots. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Leipzig starting to find a better form after changing the manager. Um, the biggest story is Union Berlin. I mean, if you don't watch German football, this is this is incredible. Union Berlin for you know most of the history were as vital as Bundesliga team. The stadium, I think, of from memory is about twenty three thousand people. Um, if they got into the Champions League, they wouldn't be allowed to play there because there's not enough seats and not enough um, directors' boxes and, and such. Yeah. So they have to they would have to play at their the rivals Hertha Stadium, the Olympic Stadion. So this is the kind of level the club are talking about. Absolutely fairy tale. The fact that they even got promoted. Was was a was a huge deal. So now for them to consolidate that position and be pushing for Europe is is absolutely incredible. What what a job they're doing over there. And why is is Hooter still on a job? I can't. I, I, can't <laughs> I can get sacked about six weeks ago. He's been he's been rotten since, and he's still he's still hanging on. Um, but yeah, really really exciting. But like you said at the bottom of the league, Grutter fourth are are stinking the place out. They're they're definitely going down. Yeah. But then Stuttgart. I mean Stuttgart, who mm. last season were you know bobbing about ninth eighth. A decent German Bundesliga side, and they're really struggling. Wolfsburg, who played the Champions League this year, did they not? They um, did, and they, they were top yeah, of the table at one point are, as well. They are they're a game or so off of off the relegation spot, so mm. they're absolutely falling off a cliff. So the, the Bundesliga is exciting this year. You know, Bayern Munich will still win it. You know, I know 
Mm. Dortmund are in a bit of form, but Haaland has come off into the game at the weekend. So I think you know how serious that is could determine where they might finish this year. So Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich will win it. But other than that, the, the rest of the, the top four spots are really exciting. Um, the relegation spots are exciting and there's plenty to play for in the Bundesliga. So yeah, definitely keep it out. But that, that bottom of the league, I think I looked at it last night and if you take out Grutter fourth, yeah, I think there's only three points separating yeah. the next six or seven teams. So it is, it is really, really tight in there where a few fixtures might suck someone else in. Six points between um, 10th place Mainz and um, Stuttgart in like with 18 points, like it's yeah. close as hell. Yeah, it's really close. Craig, I was just going to say, obviously, uh, Rangers are due to play uh, Borussia Dortmund, aren't they, soon? So uh, in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> so hopefully that Haaland injury is quite a long one, right, for your benefit? Yeah, yeah I, saw, I saw some tweets saying that Erlich Haaland shot himself from playing against, for playing against Calvin Martin. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's gone off. I don't think that's the case. I don't think uh, I don't think Haaland's good of us at all. Uh, but like, listen, I wouldn't wish an injury on any player, but it definitely makes that tie... If not winnable, it makes it a mm. little bit less scary not having to play, for me, one of the best players in the world right now. So, um, yeah, I hope he comes back. Speedy recovery right after we play Dortmund. Yeah, fingers crossed. Anyway, uh, for listeners, make sure you kind of look at those games in the meantime between those clubs. Let's talk about a bit of Serie A because uh, I felt like Allegri stole 90 minutes of my life uh, on Sunday when we saw AC Milan. Oh, you are not, draw, happy. You are not a happy buddy. <laughs> I ruined 90 minutes of my life taking them minute by minute on our Twitter account. But yeah, no, uh, I was just grateful that there was other people that could appreciate that they also had their 90 minutes ruined by Allegri. Um, have to say, like... AC Milan try their best. Sandro Tonali looks the part, but apart from that, that's all I can say in summary. It was a pretty shit game. Um, but otherwise, uh, Craig, for your benefit, Roma winning against Empoli. Um, probably a foregone conclusion being that it is Empoli. Um, but yeah, again, we're seeing inconsistent Roma again, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I seen the first half, Roma were absolutely electric, opened up Empoli at will. Um, Tammy mm. Ram, two good finishes as well. He becomes, I think, the first English player since David Platt in '92 to score 10 Serie A goals, which is something. Uh, yeah, yeah, good for him. Um, and then in the second half, Roma phoned it in, but just really, just you know, couldn't really be asked. And then Mourinho was questioned about that at the end of the game and says, "Well, why, why did your team not push on?" And he says, "Well, we did it for the fans because uh, if we just shut up shop or won six 0 the fans would be bored." So he's always just playing games with the press and, and taking the piss a little bit. But yeah, decent Zaniolo. Um, back looks good. Abby Abraham's looking mm. well, but these games don't mean anything. Like they don't mean anything if you can't beat Atalanta's Lazio, Juventus. If you cannot beat these teams in and around you, these games don't mean anything. Um, so, exactly. like I say, come, we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk about Roma again when you actually beat someone important. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, quickly through the other main results that took place over the weekend. So we saw Napoli winning against Salernitana four-one. Insignia with. Uh, yeah, a strange celebration to uh, show that he still loves Napoli. Um, he scored his 115th goal for Napoli, so he's matched now the Maradona record there as well. Uh, Inter beating Venezia 2-1. So, yeah, Venezia being now dragged into that relegation kind of battle at the moment. And Lazio probably kicking themselves at only drawing 0-0 against Atalanta. Atalanta, again, great result being that they have a very depleted squad. Um, but I thought we'd uh, bring up the topic of the Italian national team, hence why I'm wearing the Azzurri shirt. Um, Super Mario Balotelli is back in the squad. Uh, Andy, uh, 
I cannot wait for the next few uh, kind of games with Balotelli in, like at the front line. Um, I'm sure I saw somewhere on Twitter, wouldn't it be great for Netflix just to record the next few like editions <laughs> of Balotelli in the Italian national squads? Um, you must be loving this um, from a point of just pure comedy that's going to happen, right? Oh, yeah, in terms of like pure entertainment, it's absolutely fantastic. But uh, to be fair to him, he's having a good season over in uh, Turkey. You know, mm. he got double figures um, last year with the combination of Serie A and Serie B. Like, he is um, a good goal scorer. And yeah. from us uh, reading report on the beam, and apparently, like, in Turkey, he's really got his head down and started, mm. like, working hard and stuff like that. And Mancini and... Um, Manc Mancini and... Um, but they've got a very much like a father-son love-hate yeah. relationship. It yeah. goes back to their days when they were at Manchester City together. Like they've got a real bond. And one thing Italy are lacking is you know real top-class number nines. Um, mm. And I think Balotelli suits international football. And what I mean by that is you've only got to perform in spurts of five or six games to make a real, real impact in a qualifying mm. or a tournament and stuff like that. You know, I don't think Balotelli is a kind of like 38 game league season slog kind of guy. He's not going to perform for that level at, you know, all of the time. But, you know, if you chuck him in at a uh, World Cup and ask him to go back to three or four goals, there's every chance that he'll go and do it. And, you know, he can do things that, in terms of his technique and his skill, he can do things that maybe the other Italy forwards can't do, you know. Mm. Uh, Immobile is a very, very good goal scorer, but you know, for all of the goals he's scored, he's not as clinical as you might expect. Not as and mm. against top class opposition, um, he, he's sometimes found wanting. And aside from that, you, you got obviously you got Velotti, who um, you know he's okay. Um, the, like I said, there's not really many good number nines in Italy, so I think that's why he's been brought back in. And, you know, if in a World Cup you're taking three or four strikers and Balotelli's one of them, even if he comes off a bench, I think he's a very good option to have. So I'm, mm -hmm. I can't wait for an all or nothing. <laughs> That'd be really class to see. Um, Craig, there's two names, though, for Italian fans that they're really looking forward to seeing and maybe potentially progress into this team, which is Raspadori and Scamacca, who are currently really kicking on that Sassuolo. Um, obviously, they've got this break right now. Zaniolo's also been called up from Roma. Mm. So, obviously, um, what we thought a few weeks ago with Chiesa going off injured, um, thinking the worst for Italy, maybe there is actually some promising signs for Italy if they can get it right for these playoffs. Yeah, listen, Italy, even without Chiesa, Italy are still a really, really strong squad. And mm. um, we, don't, we don't tend to see a, an awful lot of these young players at international level because Italy tend to not really give debuts and uh, and give caps to, to younger players. That's why you see, you know, you saw mm. Brazi and Maldini playing forever, Costa Curta played forever, uh, Buffon played forever. You, you'll see Chiellini and Bonucci play forever, Pirlo played forever. So, they, you know, they tend to, to stick with what they know and stick with the experienced guys. So, um you know, just because probably we don't see these players at international stage doesn't mean they can't they can't do something. So I'm really excited that there's an opportunity for some of these younger guys to come in and, and get a game. Um, and listen, Italy, even without Chiesa, will will give anyone a game. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they will. Mm. Balotelli's just the definition of a wild card. I mean, this could go. This could be disastrous. He could get sent off in the first minute of the first game, 
or he could score a brace and put them through. That's that's just how this yeah. is going to go. We just don't know. But yeah, like Andy says, there's a bit of a father son relationship with Mancini, and if there's any guy I would trust to keep even half a lid on Balotelli, it's probably Mancini. So yeah, mm-hmm. excited. Isn't it? Listen, it, it's got me interested. I, I would never have watched the World Cup qualifiers otherwise. Um, <laughs> but it's got me hooked. I'm, I'm I am definitely tuning in to see Balotelli play for Italy again, one hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to seeing what he can do in these playoffs. Anyway, we will move into the weekend preview. Um, Andy, obviously, you did promise us some Luxembourg updates, but they didn't do anything. So they were the winter, they were the winter break. So I, they I was like, shit, so, they're not playing for another two weeks, I think. Uh, yeah. So. Oh, sorry, so for it. the love of list podcast highlighted the Belarusian uh, women's league, uh, which was fascinating to see. So um, yeah, it even seems to have the Belarus under 19s women's squad in that league, which I, I found surprising. But yeah, I had to double glance at the goal differences. So we've got <laughs> Dynamo Minx, who are currently top. Uh, they've scored 200 goals and only conceded four. And at the bottom, you've got Dynamo Brest. Yes, you did hear that right. They've uh, scored five goals and conceded 229 goals. Uh, by the way, we are 27 what? games deep. Yes. How many games? 27 games. Yeah. So they're averaging 10 goals a game. I've got Basically, my calculator. I've got my calculator out. So... At the moment. So, yeah, I had to just, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I, I just... Yeah, crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, if I start off with yourself, Andy, is there any particular games apart from the Belarusian Women's League that you would like to highlight from this weekend? You know what? I haven't even found I haven't found any that particularly appealed to me to be honest. Because I was I only realised it was an international break when I saw Balotelli in the Italy squad. I thought, <laughs> what's this international football going on in January? <laughs> We never have yeah. international football in January ever. Uh, it's caught me really by surprise, and I don't know what to do with my weekend anymore. So I'm really <laughs> sorry. I just I've completely lost the plot. <laughs> well, you thought it's bad this weekend. Just you watch next weekend when we've got Watford and Burnley being the only Premier League match. But um, yeah, no. Uh, what about you, Craig? I can see by your reaction, he is hoping that. Uh, some serious games happen. Um, but yeah, you did mention obviously Rangers are playing Ross County. Is there any other kind of games you're looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, I'm, I'm scraping the bar a little bit. So Friday night, Nantes versus Brest, if you're, if you're really <laughs> struck. Uh, on Saturday, there's a full card of Scottish football. So Rangers play Ross County, Celtic and United. Marseille play Montpellier in the Coupe okay, de France, which yeah. is not bad. And on Sunday, Derby Birmingham's on, and then Lons versus Monaco. So a few games. Obviously, we've got mm. the AFCON. Uh, I think it's the semi-finals. Yes. Now, now in the of course, finals, yeah. Um, so there's, there's mm. a little bit. There's, I think there's some South American qualifiers. Um, mm. Peru, Chile, the likes are, are in action. So um, it's there if you want to find it. But there's, um, yeah, there's not a lot of good <laughs> football uh, on this weekend, unfortunately. I'm surprised Go Derby on. County or Birmingham are still being business by the 30th, to be honest. <laughs> Whoever on, wins then. the game stays in business. Um, but uh, I, I shouldn't laugh, to be fair. But, yeah, that's a strange situation. Well, let me try and rescue the listeners. Anyway, um, so we have got Wickham playing uh, MK Don. So that, 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 that is at Wickham. Yeah, this is, this is the beginning of it. Just you wait. So let me carry on. We've got Bolton versus Sunderland in League One as well. It, it will get better when I mention QPR versus Reading. Now, Craig, I know you love Reading, 
but I just thought I'd highlight this point. Since losing to Kidderminster in the FA Cup, they have now conceded 14 goals in their last four games, seven of them being conceded against Fulham. So, um, yeah, if you want goals, go to QPR clearly this weekend. And obviously, as you highlighted, AFCON, so uh, do follow the Anglo-Italian guys who are obviously talking about AFCON right now. So we've got Egypt versus Morocco and Senegal versus Equatorial Guinea. So, uh, yeah, looks like quite interesting. But like you say, we're scraping the barrel, really. Uh, not a fun weekend of football, to be honest, uh, apart from me, who've got MK Dons. So, uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of the pod. So as ever, many thanks to Andy and Craig for their contributions. If you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe to our social media channels. So on Twitter at HopelessPod and on Instagram at the Hopeless Wonder Podcast. Again, many thanks to both of you. Hope you both have a great weekend. And for the listeners, whenever they're listening to us, have a great week or weekend. But for now, thank you. And we'll uh, debate whether we're actually going to be on next week. It depends on the fixtures, I think, and what happens in the transfer window. Yeah, but yeah, if, if not, we'll see you in about two weeks' time, time yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. If it's <laughs> transfer, we'll just pull in. If not, it's going to be an episode about Celtic and Rangers. That's guaranteed. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. But for now, listeners, have a great weekend, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Yeah.